0: Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent, here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast. Hosted by the IBM North American Oil & Gas Team,
1: A little bit our sponsors, Ericsson. As we're all aware, the oil and gas industry is digitizing rapidly. In addition to helping the industry reap the benefits of cost reductions, capture efficiencies for top-line revenue, achieve safety and environmental goals, digitization is enabling better and stronger connectivity. Ericsson provides best-in-class connectivity solutions for the oil and gas industry with its 4G and 5G private networks check out their site at www.erickson.com forward slash oil and gas. I will put this in the notes of each one of the episodes. Thank you.
2: Hello listeners of the energy workforce of tomorrow podcast. We have a very special episode today and I wanted to give a brief overview of what we cover and how we cover it and then discuss it briefly with my co-host Jason, who's on with me now in the episode you're about to hear. Black and brown employees of IBM talk with Zach Nunn, head of strategic growth at Diversity Inc and founder and CEO of Living Corporate, a diversity equity and inclusion network that amplifies black and brown voices in the workplace. The conversation covers careers, sponsorship, personal experiences of racial profiling and lack of equal opportunity, and how Diversity Inc and Living Corporate support black and brown employees. Zach covers the role of data as the foundation for DE&I programs and for creating more equity at work. He covers expectations of the workforce of tomorrow regarding diversity and how that relates to attracting and retaining talent. He also covers how data, tooling, and job-related social networks can help executives and leaders plan for better D and I strategies. Zach then answers questions from the panel and the live audience, including how best to advance the cause of black and brown folks as an individual, what to do to force or encourage change at employers as an individual employee, and how white entry and mid-level employees can support black and brown folks in the workplace. Zach also discusses the power of group solidarity and dynamics in advancing a cause and how whites can help use their power and power dynamics to help black and brown folks progress in the workplace. Jason, as I listened to the recording and heard the discussion, it struck me as a really important and profound topic to cover not just for our audience but for our ibm employees themselves because i think it makes a statement about how we are shifting our priorities to directly support and sponsor more importantly and you'll hear this in the podcast are people of color within the ibm company and you know within our houston culture that we're building in particular hey jerry hey guys i would totally agree
1: Jerry, I mean, I wasn't there, but when I played it back and then I spoke to Zach with you in the prep, it's a huge kick, I think, for us of we always believe we're doing enough and we're not. I mean, the things that Zach touches on and then the points of hearing our black and brown sort of our leaders of understanding what more we need to do, I think it's a huge thing. If we don't get this right, Jerry, we're not taking advantage, I think, of what we need for energy workforce tomorrow, not only our oil and gas, but as IBM as well. For me, it was a real big wake up, to be honest. And that difference between mentorship, sponsorship, how to do it, how do we turn up? And then, yeah, just really, how do we encourage that change, Jerry? It raised a lot of questions for me. I can imagine Zach coming back a bit more and doing this.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think it's worth just giving a quick preview as to maybe what the difference between sponsorship and mentorship is and the perspective that gets delivered in this show. And also, there's two elements. And Zach said, look, even if it's just for selfish reasons alone, your shareholders and your board and your stockholders want to see the value of the company grow, they're going to grow by having a more diverse set of employees with opportunity. So even if it's just out of pure selfishness and out of the moral and ethical place in your heart, and of course, it can be both, right? (laughs) The point is like, This whole sponsorship versus mentorship is a really powerful concept. And the key difference is, and the way he points it out, is like black and brown people or folks all are over-mentored and under-sponsored. They're told how to show up, how to dress, when to get there, what to say, what not to say, but no one's putting them forward as the next person who's going to be the leader in this particular team capacity project. And when you think about the people who are in power today, by and large are white on a percentage basis in corporate America. And if that's the case, then by and large, the people that are going to get sponsored, which are the people who are sort of put in position to grow, all things being equal, are also going to look like them. The point Zach makes is there's an affinity between groups that look like each other, right? Naturally, your neighbor looks like you. It's just one of those things that is hard to avoid, and it's a very natural thing. And so we have to work specifically at breaking that down and changing it. And Jace, I've already started activating it. There's been a couple of our team that, based on this podcast, or at least putting this together, another conversation we've had, have come to me asking for help and thoughts on career. And I've actually put them forward for opportunities and jobs and said, you know what, you got to talk to this person who's interested in shifting from this service line to this one. And it's what they want to do with their career. And they've got this degree, and they've got this capability, and we shouldn't avoid the opportunity to support this person, much like I would do for a friend or anybody else. Absolutely, We can all activate that. Jerry, you know me, and I've talked to
1: this before, I. Coming from Scotland in the 60s, going to school in the 70s and 80s, we were very predominantly white. Let's be brutally honest. And that's something I've learned during the last 53, 54 years now. now. (laughs) Bloody hell, I'm getting old. But actually, it's something that we need to really exercise and understand and learn. Like you said, if we don't, you have group solidarity and you don't take any Leverage at all from looking at different peoples. I mean, for me, that's what I've really learned my global travels. And then I think all of us of how do we? We always think we're doing enough. As you said, I think it's a real big thought provoking item that we need to do. I think our guys did a fantastic job, Jerry. As well, it's great to hear Rajiv. Richard, Jalisha, etc., all really getting involved in this. That's the bit I really like. This It would have been too easy, Jerry, I think, for us to do this podcast. I think it's really strong to hear some of our young IBM leaders take us and own this and talk to people like Zach and then push it on. But, yeah, for me, it's still th- thought-provoking, Jerry. It's Have I got the answer? I would say it's prodded me enough to do I need to do more, and I need to keep prompting myself to how do
2: we and what can we do. And that's what we want to do with the show. Yeah, I totally agree, Jason. And, you know, as individuals, there are things that we can do. And then systemically, I think, you know, supporting this podcast, giving our team the opportunity to drive this particular interview process. And for our listeners, you know, Jason and I and Brian and the other normal hosts weren't weren't a part of it. We asked our younger and persons of color sort of members of persons of color of our team to do the hosting and run this. And they did. And they did a great job doing more things like that, just being more visible with support, more vocal about it, just educating, being vulnerable, honestly, about you know our own ignorance and our own biases and things I think are important. And there was one part of the podcast, which was very striking when Zach talked about three or four incidents in a two or three day span that happened to him, that really was the inciting moment for him to make a change in how he was looking at his career and what he was going to do with it which got him into uh-huh. this space in the first place and they were innocuous events but I could completely see how that would never happen to me and it totally yep. would happen to him would happen to him and just how demoralizing and frustrating on a daily basis that must be for people who have that experience you know I've had these conversations
1: after that event I told you I wasn't at the event when they were talking or doing the show I talked to Keisha and a couple of other IBMers and it really has rocked a couple of them of understanding and realizing what happened. And it's not what would happen to you, Nigeria. I think you're spot on. And I think we need to hear it. I think I read something on LinkedIn the other day of, you know, do your companies have D&I programming? Is it effective enough? After doing this and listening to this, I wonder if we redid that I might even do that on LinkedIn, we should do it, mm. do it before and do it after and see if people really listen and really have the impact of de and programs really are effective enough. Are we doing enough? I would definitely say, I'd put my hand up, Jerry. I would have answered it differently after listening to this one. It'd be really interesting to hear the, the input.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And I liked also that Zach had, I think the courage to say, look, we also have to be cognizant of the fact that we need to use data and analytics to measure our progress." right? This shouldn't just be feeling a certain way and doing something. If we're going to make a difference, we need to measure the work that we're doing to make that difference and then the output and the outcome of that difference. Yeah, I think it was overall some very thought-provoking and helpful conversation that's going to do something to move us forward, Jason. I of this
1: open and honest discussion, we've had a few of these now on new to diversity transgender, et cetera. We need to have the conversations that people are scared to have, Jerry. And I think that's where you and I want to take this podcast. And I think this is one of many that we will
2: start opening these doors and we have to talk at this level, Jerry, because that's we need to action. We need the right action. Yeah. And if I could ask our listeners a favor, if you were ever going to comment on a podcast that this group has done, please take a moment and give us a comment on this one. How do you feel about it? what more do we need to talk about with this? How did it strike you? What are your impressions? Good or bad? Please let us know because Jason, you say it, if you want to say it now, we're always looking to improve, right?
1: Yeah. Adopt, adapt and improve. We are absolutely spot on Jerry. I mean, we said since October, when we started this, we've not got this perfect, but we were willing between Jerry and I and the other co-hosts touch these comments. And we do take this feedback seriously. You want to have more? You want to have less? You want to be the next Zach? Get in there, and Jerry, you're spot on. I quite like this co-host bit, by the way, Jerry. You could be the host. I quite like this co-host bit. Oh, the oh. cheeky co-host. You like being? And you could be card. the Joe Rogan, and I'll be the cheeky Scotsman on the side,
2: giving this sort of banter. Yeah, you'd be the color commentator. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> we we'll try it out. <laughs> anyway, I think we've taken enough of our listeners' time for this intro, folks. We hope you really enjoy this, and now we give you Zach Nunn. Enjoy.
3: All right, good afternoon everybody. Welcome to another podcast recording of the energy workforce of tomorrow. We've got a very special guest with us today and two other guests actually. And before I introduce who they are, I just realized I should probably say, I don't sound like Jason Duff or Jerry Lewis we've taken over from both of them to talk about something that's been on the top of our minds that we wanted to raise. That's a big issue today. So we've got an opportunity to raise a new interesting topic and hopefully you guys will enjoy it. So firstly, quickly say, so my name is Rajiv. I'm an employee of IBM. I've been with them almost eight years and based here in Houston. On the panel today, we've got a couple of other IBMers with us. Jaleesha, I'll hand the mic over to you to go next.
4: Hey Zach, my name is Alicia Wilkins. I just started in June and I am in a finance and industrial supply chain consultant at
5: IBM. Hey Zach, it's great seeing you. My name is Richard. I am a developer here at IBM. I've been here since July and
3: it's been a great time. Awesome. So you met our first two guests. We've got one more who you guys have heard from. So we've got Zach who's on here with us. So Zach, we're obviously here today to talk about de So before we jump into that, would you please just give us a quick introduction of yourself, who you are, and what you do?
6: Sure. My name is Zach Nunn, based out of Houston, Texas, founder and CEO of Living Corporate, which is a digital media company that centers and amplifies black and brown folks at work. And then I'm also the head of strategic growth at a company called Diversity, Inc. We're a thought leadership insights company that really helps to make sure we're bringing transparency and education on the matters of workplace fairness. I'm excited to be here.
3: Yeah, really glad to have you with us. So as I said earlier, we're going to be talking about sort of diversity, um, equity and inclusion. Sort of an interesting topic for today. And we're seeing a lot more companies adopting it and trying to, well, trying to adopt it and, you know, making it a big part of their company culture. So I guess as we dive into it, maybe let's just start, Zach, with a question to you. So what made you want to start diversity and get involved with Living Corporate?
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we switched it a little. So... I joined Diversity Inc. Diversity Inc. is a 20-year-old company that's been around really, you know, you think about like organizations that are ranked, like every organization wants to be ranked with Diversity Inc. and or Great Place to Work. Like those are the two like predominant, like they're the leading ranking companies when it comes to matters of workplace fairness. And so I'm honored at the opportunity to join Diversity Inc. as of last month as their head of strategic growth. And it is because of, to your point, the work that I started with my own company, Living Corporate. And the reason why that space is my passion is because I selfishly am impacted by the realities of work, right? I am a first-generation professional. I'm a second-generation reader. I'm a first-generation college graduate. I'm coming into spaces where I'm oftentimes one of the only people in a room that looks like me. And so I'm passionate about any work that helps to create a more fair, accessible, and equitable environment and culture and experience.
4: Okay, that's nice. So it's so nice to talk to you today. I'm very big on diversity and everything as well. So during our previous conversation, one thing that you said that really stood out to me was like Black professionals are over-mentored and under-sponsored. So based off of that quote and that statement that you said, can you explain the difference between mentorship and sponsorship and then what action do you think the listeners can take or are intrigued by that quote to better the problem that you feel is happening in this society today?
6: Yeah, thank you for the question. And yeah, I definitely want to attribute that quote to the person who said it, which is her name is Michelle Gaston Williams. She's the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion, BlackRock, actually. But at the time she was at Accenture. And when I think about mentorship, mentorship is the practice of telling somebody what they need to be doing, right? Hey, when you come in, make sure you come in about 10 minutes early because Janice in accounting is a gossip and she'll say that you're running late if you're not early. Or, hey, let's make sure you learn these tools or get these certifications because that's what's gonna help you as you navigate your career. Or, you know, we don't do half wins or knots here, we do full wins or knots, you know? This is how you need to dress when you show up and stuff like that, right? That's mentorship. And mentorship is like the first rung of a ladder when it comes to professional development and career progression. So you think about like, and frankly, mentorship is kind of fun because everyone likes to tell somebody else what they need to be doing. Like people like gravitate to that. Sponsorship is more than that. It's completely different. Sponsorship is leveraging my own social and political cachet for your benefit. So it's one thing for me to pull you aside in private and say, hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z, look out for this, look out for that. That's one thing. I'm sharing information with you, but no one has to even know that I'm mentoring you. I don't risk anything by sharing information. Sponsorship is me going in rooms where you're not there and saying, hey, this person, they need to be on this project. Hey, they need this opportunity. Hey, I've been working with them and they're great and they need to be the ones who have this opportunity to do this thing that's going to progress their career, right? A mentor talks to you in private, but a sponsor talks about you when you're not in the room. So going back to the quote, black folks are over-mentored and under-sponsored in that there's this underlying belief that folks not in the majority need by default, more education, that they are in some way inferior. And that they just need to be told what to do. And the reality is, and the point of that quote was that Black and brown people, and just again, non-majority folks, they get a lot of that all the time. Like, there's all sorts of training programs and coding programs and things. But what they don't have a lot of is, hey, I know that Jerry Lewis, who is Mr. Executive such and such, is going to speak up for me. And he's going to make sure that I get the same opportunity as my majority counterpart over here. That's the difference. And the reason that it's important is because you meet people all the time who are really skilled at their jobs, but there's only so many seats at the next level. And it takes more than just being good at your current job to progress.
4: Thank you. That was a great answer. All
6: right. So
3: just touching on the mentorship versus sponsorship, I was trying to just reflect on the experiences that I've had, whether in IBM or at university or wherever. And if I've struggled with it as such. So I'll just share my perspective on it a little bit. So like I said, I've been in working for now almost 10 years since I've graduated. And just to point out again, because I don't think we did this at the start, but we're all from, I guess, on the panel here today from, I guess, non-majority backgrounds, you could say. So I'm sure we've all got different experiences on how it's all happened in the past. But I'd say like, I guess maybe from my experience, I'd say I've been pretty lucky in the people that I've interacted with and the people that I've come across they've not necessarily looked at me as, oh, like, oh, he's Indian, he needs support or anything like that. I don't know if that's because of my accent or maybe with the way I look or whatever it is, but like, I've not necessarily come across it. But that doesn't mean that maybe what's been projected to me is right or wrong, I don't know. But I guess it's different for everyone. And I think it's always come down to, I guess, from what I've seen anyway, if you do a good job, you'll get the recognition that you deserve. But it does take the leaders around you to help you get that recognition. And I think that's the point you were making, Zach, around, I guess, mentorship versus sponsorship, is if you didn't have the strong leaders around you that recognize what you're doing and are willing to, like, share their voice for you, it's a lot harder to progress in certain companies. So you've mentioned people like Jerry, Jason, a couple of colleagues of mine in the UK that I've worked with have all been very vocal in their support when it comes to people within their teams to get progression. So I'm curious, like, Talisha, Richard, like, from you guys, either university or otherwise, How have you found it? Anything that you'd say people could do different or anything? I'd be curious to hear if there was anything. Hey, how you doing?
5: Based off my own experience, when I was in college, I was part of an organization called the National Society of Black Engineers. We really have a strong mentoring program there and almost every month we'd have different companies come in and mentor our students, talk about careers, opportunities, ways that they can grow ourselves and be in these positions in the future. But to a lot of the students, they kind of felt a little hopeless, even with all the information they were given at times. But most of this usually changed. This happened every year. Most of the sentiment changed always around the time of convention. During convention, that's when our students had the opportunity to truly meet with recruiters, hiring managers, and individuals who actually had the power and the opportunity to put these students in the positions to succeed. And after every convention, we usually had a lot of students come up talking about the experiences they had, who they met, opportunities they gained, connections of actual sponsorship. And honestly, hearing your main point here, a sponsorship versus mentorship, is honestly truly empowering. And I truly feel like that is a key point. Diversity and inclusion programs need to focus on is sponsorship. Showing up to those conventions, being part of those conventions, making those conventions, having opportunities for people of color to actually meet up with people who have the power to put them in those positions, and honestly.
4: Yes, I agree. So in college, I was an international business finance major. So my school was very small. It was like the handful that was ever there. But um, I understand Richard because I actually have a twin sister who's an industrial engineer. She was also in Nesby, the National site like engineer. So that was a great organization that she had to connect and meet people. But I sadly didn't have that in mind. So I feel like it also depends on your efforts, too, especially when you're trying to get hired. So what I did was that being a finance major, one of my best classes were math. So instead of me going to like my TA, I went to the math coordinator whenever I had questions, stuff like that. And he eventually became my sponsor. He would train me and prep me for interviews like that, especially when it came to finances, being a finance major. Some job positions require tests, exams. So I would say that I kind of feel like I agree to your point 100%. And like mentorship and sponsorship are two different things and that they should be taken more. Seriously, when it comes to like the two different sections of it all, like a mentor can tell you things with a sponsor. is all about action. And so I also agree that when you don't have those connections, as long as you as an individual kind of comfortable being uncomfortable and put yourself out there you can also get a sponsor that way as well.
3: I was just going to point out as well obviously we are doing this recording live in front of about 20 other people so if at any point anyone in the audience wants to ask a question or wants to hear from Zach I know you can all see him on the screen please just raise your hand and we'll get the mic across to you so you can ask. Okay so we talked a bit about I guess mentorship and sponsorship I was going to ask then Zach like from your experience did you have a particular moment or something in your career where you thought, do you know what, this is something that I really want to try and pursue. Like, what was it in your experience where you thought, I want to be able to share your stories, help people tell their stories and help empower others, I guess. Because I think, Jaleesha, you sort of touched on it. You know, you need strong leaders, but you also, I think as an individual, need to feel confident in wanting to go out and seek those opportunities. And I think what you talked about with diversity and helping people with sharing those stories, like, was there anything on your side, that happened to you or just an experience where you thought, you know what, I think this needs to change?
6: So the reality is I'm thinking, this is reality for most black and brown folks in America. There's always things that you go through that you look at and say things need to change. I mean, it's just kind of part of, it's like endemic to our lived experience. But I do think about like a series of like compounding events that happened. And I say this like probably like within like three days that I was just like, okay, I need to create something. I need to create Living Corporation. And so I'll start with one so this was like on a Monday. I was driving home and at the time I had a Buick Century. I don't know if they even make Buick Centries anymore, but it was a two thousand and two Buick Century and I was driving it in two thousand and twelve. So it's an older car. People from Dallas would call it a slab. That is slang for a like a wide body car. So I really liked my car. And I was driving I was suited and booted. Like I was wearing like a blazer, with whatever. I was dressed because I just came from work. I was working at Cameron at the time before they got acquired by Schlumberger. But anyway, I was turning on the street into my apartment and I did not signal on the green turning light. I just turned. And so I did not signal. Police pulled me over. Police pulled me over and they say, hey, we pulled you over because you didn't signal on the green light. I said, you did not signal on the green light. And I was like, oh, okay. I, the light was green, so I thought, they were like, no, nah, you got a signal. I was like, oh, okay. Then they said, you know, are you selling any drugs today? And I said, no. And they said, can we search your car? And I said, no. Then they asked me to get out the vehicle. Of course I got out the vehicle. They then say, you're sweating and you seem upset. Are you sure you're not selling drugs and you're sure you're not on drugs? And I said, no. And no, you do not have permission to search me. So they give me a ticket, not for signaling on the green light, but because my driver's license had my college address on it and I had just moved because I had just graduated or whatever. So that happened on, like, at the top of the week. Then the next day, I drive to work. I didn't talk to anybody about the fact that it happened. Of course, the policeman had his hand on the gun and was threatening and all that stuff. The next day, I drive to work in the parking lot. I'm listening to Lil Wayne or whatever was popular in... 2012 y'all I mean whatever like whatever I was just some rap music at a moderate volume security guard comes up and says Who are you here to see? I said I work here and they said never seen you before I said I work here They said well turn your music down and don't pull into the parking lot so fast in the future I said, okay, I get out the car I'm here to meet some executive, some HR person. I promise if I knew her name, I'd say it. I just can't remember. I love putting people on blast on podcasts. I just can't remember the name, so I'm not going to say the name. But it was some HR executive at Cameron, which has, again, since been acquired by Schlumberger. And I think Schlumberger is doing something different now. So, I mean, this was a while ago. It's almost a decade ago. No, it was a decade ago. Wow, it's 2022. Sheesh. The lady goes, she knew I was coming because we had a scheduled meeting because we were talking about change management and change management strategy. She says, how did you get this job? And I said... I applied to the job. And she said, and what's your degree in? I said, it's in applied business. She's like, and how does someone like you get a job working here? And I said, I imagine I apply at the portal like everybody else. So that was the third thing that happened. Later that week, I had someone ask me, hey, you're really well-spoken. And I said, thank you. And they said, are your parents black? And I said, yes both of them are black. I'm obviously black. Yes. Oh, I thought you might've been adopted because you speak so well. I said, nope. And then early the next week, someone asked me if I graduated from college or if I just had a GED. And so it was a compounding series of events that were equally frustrating, embarrassing, and traumatic that for me pushed me to consider if I was really as unique as I feel like I am, if I was really as alone as I feel like I am, or If, in fact, other historically marginalized people, black and brown people, South Asians, East Asians, Latinx folks, queer folks, visibly disabled folks, if they also share these experiences, it was like a grinding. And there's a bunch of other stories I could share. It's the self-realization of, hey, this can't be beat by myself. And then as I talk to other people, they have their own experiences and stories. And look, I'm a straight black man in America. So my experiences are not going to be the same as yours, Rajiv or Naraj, and I'm a Black American. They're not gonna be the same as someone who is Cameroonian or Nigerian. But the reality is, is that we all share experiences that are large deviations from the norm or from the median white experience. And so what does it look like to not only honor the reality of those experiences, but share them in an authentic way that can help serve as a point of education for aspirational allies, for people who are seeking to make a change and improve and create more equitable and fair places to work and so that's where living corporate comes in which is what i've built and that's where diversity inc comes in where i'm an executive leader and i'm passionate about the work and i think as long as non-white folks exist there's going to be a need for the work and i like that awesome thank you for sharing this story incredible to hear before i ask my question i was
3: going to say julisha or richard do you guys want to ask anything
4: I don't have a question necessarily, but I have a comment, so I just really appreciate like your business and everything, I would say. Everyone has their own different experiences. I have my own experiences being a black female in the United States. Uh, luckily, I feel like since I do have a voice, mine aren't as like drastically, whole, like not horrific, but as bad as others could be, because I do speak out if I ever feel some type of way about anything, and... I just appreciate your business because I know that, especially within the next generations, it'll make a big difference in not only big corporations, but small corporations and even entrepreneurship. So it's making a big change already.
5: All right, I might have a couple of questions for you, Zach, if you don't mind. How long have you been with Diversity Inc.? And also, like, since joining at Diversity Inc., in your opinion and in your eyes, how have Diversity Inc.'s initiatives changed the landscape for African-Americans within the corporate world in America? It's a great question.
6: So Diversity Inc., again, is differentiated in the market because it's one of two like truly trusted brands that organizations will share their data with. And so when you ask about how it's improved or impacted Black American or Black employees, I would say it's improved the experience of Black employees and, frankly, all employees in that We're capturing organizational data and then benchmarking it, not only against themselves, but against other companies and across North America, right? You think about business. In every aspect of business that's important, there's data. In your day-to-day job, your supervisors, there's some type of report that they're pulling and measuring against all the time. That's how they justify their business cases. That's how they justify their investments. It's because they have data. And so when you talk about Diversity Inc, we're driving transparency through gathering data and then socializing that data for the sake of education and awareness. So you can't improve what you can't measure. Anyway, what I was simply saying was that Diversity Inc helps to create impact by driving transparency and accountability through data. Right. Again, we have hundreds upon hundreds of brands who share their people data with us. And so when you have something that you can measure, you then have something you can drive accountability and improvement on. And so that's what Diversity Inc. does. And I'm proud of that. Also, I have a six week old and my wife just handed her to me. She's probably not going to be on camera, but that's also why I'm not here with y'all today. I got this new baby. Oh, well, congratulations.
3: Congrats. Yeah, we can see her kinder on, see on the Are you camera. You see her little hand? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. A uh, couple more questions then. Do you guys want to
4: know? Um. So one thing that we had heard was that you got told that you talk very, like, not even polite, but very proper. So what would you say? Like, I feel like a lot of people got, I've gotten told that a lot, but I do have like a little bit of Southern accent as well. So what would you say? How did that affect you when you were told that from your background and everything?
6: Yeah. So here's the thing. Like, I've been told that I'm really well-spoken or some people say, wow, my goodness, you're intelligent. That's happened to me since I was, like, seven years old. Now I don't care. So now I say things like, were you expecting something different? And then I'll let them just struggle to answer, were you expecting something different? What were you expecting in our conversation? Sometimes, like, when people say that, and it's always been white folks, they say it almost like if me and Jerry were to go to a carnival and it says, hey, come see the talking bear. And then the bear goes hey, how's it going? We would say, my gosh, you are well-spoken because you don't expect a bear to talk. And that's how people like say stuff to me. It's like, like it's like, yo, I'm a human being. Yes, I'm speaking. I conjugate my E's and R's. We're just talking. Just to add to that experience, that's something that
3: I've had in the past. So I grew up in Kenya. People that don't know where that is, that's East Africa on the equator. And a lot of people just say, oh, I want to go to Africa. But Africa is so much more than just when they say that, they mean South Africa. They don't really mean anywhere else. But yes, yeah, so I grew up in Kenya till I was 16, lived there pretty much my whole life, went to boarding school in the UK for like my final two years of education. And I spoke good English before I moved over. And first day in school, I was like, hey everyone, I'm Rajiv. Like, like oh, where are you from? I was like, oh, I'm from... Mombasa, Kenya and they, everyone just paused like you said like look and just said but you speak in English you speak English really well like how does that happen and like, and how did you get here and I would joke like oh I started running at 16 and now I'm here <laughs> you know like, so and they'd be like oh okay like I'm not really getting it <laughs> but yeah and now obviously I've still got a British accent and everything but I think I touched on it at the start but I don't know if the way I sound or how you come across hides the bias a little bit when people may not expect it so but yeah it was just it was interesting it was just something like with. With. So glad it wasn't just me. So, no, definitely not just you. One more is I guess, given we're talking about the energy workforce for tomorrow and what impacts people can have. So, I guess, how are you seeing companies change or their culture change? You know, you've talked a bit about collecting metrics and things, but are there other like more tangible
6: things that can be done on the ground, like daily, that can help? So, I have to say that it does have to start and end with your data, right? So, like, to your point around preparing for the workforce of the future and even diversity equity inclusion, like as a space we're seeing, shifting political and social pressures. Like this is not 2020 like the murder of George Floyd brought for a season, a high degree of investment and interest in diversity inclusion and much more sentimental, ornamental and subjective kind of artsy ways. The future of this space, is going to be much more data-driven as fatigue sets in and continues to set and grow, and resentment also with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I don't want to like move too far away from the fact that data is going to have to be at the foundation of anything that you're doing as it pertains to creating a more equitable place to work, a more fair place to work. And especially as you think about attracting and retaining future talent, these young people do not care about your rhetoric or excuses. They're looking for a particular environment. You know, I think about my siblings. I have four siblings, they're all in a band. And their ages are 22, 21, 19, and 17. So they're very squarely Gen Zers. And their patience for, yeah, you got to kind of stick up. You kind of, you know, it's just kind of the way it is, or it's just kind of our culture, or it just doesn't exist. Right? And the best way to affect change is to say, okay, it's to make all your goals, what's it they say, smart, you know, you know what I mean? The smart goals, like the key letter in smart is that M. If you can't measure it, you can't change anything. So you talk about, hey, how do we improve our talent acquisition? Okay, you have data in your applicant tracking systems for that. How do we improve our retention and performance management? Well, you can look and there's data for that. There's measures for that. How do we make sure this people really want to work here? You can look at your salaries and then compare them and benchmark them against standards. I mean, there's data for everything. Everything is a number. The minute that you know what you're working on is some bullshit is there's no numbers next to whatever you're doing. It's a bunch of opinions and feelings.
3: No, yeah. Interesting. Yes, definitely agree. I think if you can quantify anything and make it transparent, I think that's key.
6: Can't quantify it. It probably don't matter. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I'm
3: an engineer,
5: so I'm the numbers guy, and I definitely agree. Data needs to drive the way we met social issues at work, especially as, like you said, fatigue sets in from all the sentimental stuff. That stuff helps in the short term. What really helps is strong, driven data that leads to adequate solutions. Now, um, going forward, one question I'd like to ask about is, with the changing economic environment that we're in right now, especially within the tech space, how do you think companies can continue to at least push for and enforce policies within the diversity and inclusion, despite the fact that the economic situation is changing, whether there's less money in the bucket, you know what I mean?
6: I do know what you mean. So it's interesting, right? So like Living Corporate, we have a bunch of different partnerships and one of them is with this company called Blind. Blind is this like anonymous job posting app has over 7 million users, and they all talk about their experiences at work. We love blind for a variety of reasons, but one of the main reasons we love blind is because we're able to survey those populations and get all types of insights, which then help us as thought leaders in diversity, equity, inclusion, experience of black and brown folks at work. So one of the things we've been recently seeing is that folks are looking for stability, right? Like the next generation of worker is looking for stability because all the messages around economic uncertainty and these like really largely publicized layoffs is creating anxiety. And so when you talk about what can folks do to continue to push diversity equity, inclusion forward, I think it's about asking the question of, hey, what can we do to make this like a place where a fresh college graduate can get four to five years of development and then an exit well? What benefits do we need to provide? What's a salary that we can provide? And what do we need to do so that we can just stay level? The challenge with some of that though is capitalism in that publicly traded companies have pressures to grow. Staying the same and being quote unquote stable is not good. (laughs) And so there's a question for executive leadership of as they think about their forecasting and their planning over the next, I don't know, four to six quarters, eight quarters, how do those things need to change and adapt in light of the economic environment? so that employees don't feel don't so obviously feel squeezed and pressured to produce 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 or they're going to get canned because that's really the anxiety for so many people right now and especially in the tech industry diversity equity inclusion so often y'all is like the outcome like it's driven by effective leadership and policy that are just good business things to do what i just said about like strong financial forecasting so that your organization is stable and you don't feel pressured to let people go. I didn't say nothing about diversity and inclusion in that. I'm just talking about just good business, like be a cognizant, present, intentional leader, have the courage to work with your boards so that you don't feel like you need to have ridiculous growth quarter to quarter, so much so that when you don't meet these ridiculous numbers, you then look at people as expenses, and then they're ass out of a job, right? So, so many of these answers, again, just go back to competent, courageous, and I say courageous, that's giving a lot of credit. I'm gonna just stick with competent leadership. Yeah, most definitely
5: agreed, especially within the tech space. There has been a lot of overgrowth, in my opinion, driven by venture capitalism. A lot of these companies overhire; they grow too fast, and then when it's time to tighten their belt, we all know who gets cut first.
6: Yep, that's true. And we haven't done any formal studies on this, but anecdotally, I mean, black and brown folks, it's not really a reach to think that, you know, there's been this real push of the last, like four or five years to get black folks in STEM, you know, lower level coding roles and jobs, and also in like business development, sales type roles and things of that nature. And so when you look on LinkedIn, for me, I'll speak for myself and I'm not those type of people. When I look at something, if I see something on LinkedIn, I'm not gonna sit back and say it's a fact. I'm gonna say for me, what I see, Zach's eyes see, a lot of those just layoff decisions and announcements, they're coming from more people that look like me than not. And I wouldn't be surprised if we did some formal analysis, if we saw that there was disparate impact of historically marginalized populations compared to the majority.
5: Very interesting. I hope we get that data soon and can take a look at it. Same. Hi, Zach. My name is
0: Keisha Heisen. I am hey, a technology consultant here, and I have a couple questions for you. Wonderful. One, do you have an example of a type of sponsorship program at any of the companies that you work with or even that you haven't worked with before that you feel like is a good example of companies taking accountability for sponsorship of minorities? So that's one. Okay. And two, what would you say people that are part of a minority group can do to get sponsorship? or to increase the level of sponsorship that they get from executives around them or people in power around them.
6: Keisha, thank you for the great questions. So, to answer your first one, I haven't seen a sponsorship program yet. I have seen several mentorship programs and you know, they're typically like hey, you know, the most sophisticated one I believe I've experienced directly is with Accenture. So, you put your name in like this portal and you select characteristics that you like from your mentor. Characteristics is like experiential characteristics and some identity characteristics. And then you're matched up with a mentor. And then it's up to you to then figure out the cadence and culture of that relationship. I've yet to see something as pronounced with sponsorship. However, when I think about sponsorship culture, I think about, again, I would say Accenture, that that's where I've seen the most sponsorship happen. I've seen of black and brown folks. And so, The programming piece, again, there are organizations right now that are really just trying to get into that and operationalize sponsorship. Zach the Individual has not seen that. But I have seen, again, cultures that are stronger at it than others. Again, I said Accenture. Certain pockets of Ernst & Young, I've seen that. Certain pockets, pockets, mind you, of Amazon, I've seen that. But so often, because it's not operationalized, you kind of get what you get, which I think leads into your second question of what minorities can do minority groups can do and i'm gonna say this what you can do is you can voice and say hey i'd love a sponsor here's how i'm performing i believe i'm performing well i'd like a sponsor for this that and the third do you know anyone who's willing to sponsor me and i think that's a very direct conversation i have with your supervisor but i'm gonna say something that's gonna be kind of deflating which is i know that various minority groups we're taught we are taught that we are accountable and responsible for every damn thing, okay? Hey, you gotta go get this. You gotta go do that, right? Our parents teach us that. My mom taught me that. You gotta go do this and you gotta go do that. And it shows up differently group to group. I'm not saying that that attitude looks the same between Black Americans and Nigerian Americans or East Asians and South Asians, but the spirit of accountability is contrary to what Fox News would have you think, is really high within minority groups. And I say that to say, sponsorship is largely out of your control, okay? It is. It is incumbent upon executive leadership cultures to create sponsorship opportunities and to be sponsors, right? Because a sponsor is someone, they have to willingly share power, which means that the onus of sponsorship is on the leader. It's not on you. And you could even say, hey, I'd like a sponsor. Believe it or not, Keisha, I used to say that all the time. Hey, can you sponsor me, please? I walk around all the time. My little fresh face, cheeks all rosy. Can you sponsor me? Can you sponsor me? And people go, yeah, yeah, sure, Zach will sponsor you. And I look up and I got passed over for a promotion. Or I look up and I didn't get added to that cool project. And I say, hey, you and I had a conversation about the thing. Could you?" Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, next time, right? So the last thing I'll say, and hopefully to wrap up, put a bow on this answer is it's incumbent upon you to audit your job every six months and ask yourself, are you getting the sponsorship and support you need? And if you're not, then to continue to have pointed conversations with your supervisor and then be willing to exit. Believe it or not, the biggest ways that organizations see that they need to do something different. And I say this is on the living corporate side because people work up to come to the corporate, hey, we need some marketing services. Can you help us with some storytelling? Can you help us with some training? Because we're looking at our turnover and it's been blah, 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 blah over the last 12 months. The biggest way you show things need to change is by you leaving. And that's how companies learn because it costs money when you leave, right? Yeah, definitely agree. Thank you. You're welcome, Keisha.
0: Thank you, Zach. That was really a great answer to my question. And I will say, me personally, I've had a number of great sponsors here at IBM within the microculture that I'm a part of in the oil and gas sector. But I really want to find a way to make sure that that's occurring across the board. So thank you for that answer. And hopefully we could get some education on the leadership level of what sponsorship
7: really looks
3: like. Wonderful, hopefully so. All right, we've got another question from the audience. We've
6: got Flo. What's up Flo?
7: Hi, Zach. Hey. So I'm Flow not from Progressive, but from IBM.
6: That's fire. That's a dope way to introduce yourself. <laughs>
7: yeah, I work as a subject matter expert on the record to analyze space. So this would be more generic in terms of my question, because in terms of you having different struggles before you get where you are right now, you've tried not just once, but definitely several times. But in terms of really pushing to achieve your goals or achieve your plans. Well, like for me, I really have a high pain tolerance. (laughs) So when I say getting into what I plan for, I really work on it. But from your own words or from your own experience or perspective, I just wanted to hear how or when, when do you say that enough is enough?
6: Got it. Well, first of all, Flo from IBM, not progressive. Thank you for your question. The answer looks different for everybody. For me, I am damnably impatient. Like, it's a flaw of mine and I own it. I'm impatient when it comes to seeing change. I'm impatient when it comes to seeing like just progress. And it's served me well, but it's also harmed me. A lot of people leverage their impatience to do great things. You think about people who are like, innovators are often impatient, right? So. When you ask the question of when do I know is enough enough? There's not a formula. There's not like a specific calculus. It's a feeling and an intuition. And if I feel like I'm asking the same things, asking for the same things over and over, and I see them not being fulfilled over and over, then I believe it's probably time for me to go. It's up to you, right? Like you have to make the determination. The thing about it is, is that as you continue to get older, you suffer loss. Like people in your life die, they pass away. And you're reminded every time someone passes away that how short and fragile life is. And so for me, it's like, hey, like my belief system says I only get one trip around this place. So I wanna maximize my time. Why am I being passed over four or five times for an opportunity? Why am I being disrespected? I'm having the same conversation with my supervisor 13, 14, 15, 11 times. It's time to go somewhere else. I think it's important that you honor your instincts and you honor your purpose and you honor your goals. And remember that life is short.
7: Thank you for that, Zach. Okay. You're and welcome. My 15 years in IBM, really, I really have a high tolerance. <laughs> so just, yeah. yeah. Just kidding. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that perspective. Appreciate it.
6: I appreciate you.
3: All right. One more question then. We'll wrap up. Conscious it's a Friday afternoon and I'm sure your daughter wants some of your attention as well. <laughs> She's sleepy. I appreciate the thought. Thank you. Hey, Zach. This is Josh here. What's up, Josh? We heard a little bit about how leadership can help with sponsorship, what people of color can do to gain sponsorship in in the environment. What can someone at my level, where I'm not quite a leader, just middle of the pack, to help out?
6: What a wonderful question. Individual contributors definitely play a role in advocating and creating a more equitable place to work, specifically in the context of sponsorship. Black and brown folks, irrespective of their titles, they have to be, or rather I've been trained in my life experience. I have to be cognizant of white folks around me who might not even be at my level hierarchically or organizationally, because I know that they likely are going to carry more influence than me. I'll give you an example. I worked at Coopers for a while, and I was a manager. And there were some senior associates. For those who don't know, senior associate is like individual contributor. Sometimes you might lead a work stream, but yeah, you're an individual contributor. And I knew based on just the way like society is set up and culture works, that even though I outranked them, that I did not have as much influence as insert person over here. So with that context in mind, the role Josh that you play is by leveraging your voice. And when you see someone that is doing great or that needs support or that you know, it's you talking to, and I'll keep on picking on Jerry cause Jerry's in this little square. it's you talking to jerry and saying hey jerry i'm not sure do you know keisha hey i worked with her over here honestly keisha should be a manager keisha should be x y and z and i don't know and oftentimes jerry will go oh who i didn't or oh i've seen her and consciously or subconsciously that will help be a huge influence and you might say well why is that and i don't want it to be like because y'all both white That's lazy. Let me be more precise with why, because if you as a white man and I'm going to say straight presenting, I'm not presuming anything about you. I'm just going to say straight presenting white man. Talk to another straight presenting white man or just a white person about something. There's a higher likelihood that they're going to see similarity in you. They're going to see their neighbor's kid or their son or themselves or their nephew or whatever, or their pastor's kid or cousin or whatever, like it doesn't matter. There's gonna be a certain level of trust and relatability that Keisha will not be able to as organically capture. There's a phrase there called white solidarity and like white solidarity is conscious and unconscious, but it's just the concept of like groups inherently, oftentimes, not all the time, having a higher level of trust with themselves even if they can't put their finger on it, right? And like, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Real quick, and I'll hand the mic back is, so you think about Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders is coaching at the Celebration Bowl, Jackson State, and he's pivoting over to Colorado. Deion Sanders staff, he had Zimmerman over there at the Jackson State staff, and he had a couple of white folks on his staff, don't get me wrong. He had a lot of black people on his staff. If you look at his coaching staff at Colorado, there's a stronger mix. I don't know if it's 50-50, but it might be like 55, 45, 60, 40, because he knows He's in a different culture. Colorado is leagues and bounds different than Mississippi. He knows like, hey, look, I'm the coach. I need to create different levels of trust and engagement and relationship. Let me make sure I get some coaches in here that look like the kids they're gonna be coaching. And so there's nothing wrong with that inherently, but it is about being mindful of the power that you have in that and leveraging it for good. So simply put, Josh, the role that you play as an individual contributor, non-leader, non-executive is use your voice and speak up and be an advocate for other people.
5: Awesome. Thank you, Zach.
6: You're welcome.
3: All right. So just uh, conscious of your time, Zach, and, and the time we've already had from you. So maybe we just, I guess, some closing remarks. Janisha, do you want to add anything?
4: I just want to say thank you for your time today. It's very impactful and inspirational to see how you started living corporate and how it's going and I'm excited to see the next few years and when I get older to see like my kids and how DE and I will be integrated into their businesses and we won't have to luckily worry about it as much as a subject matter as it is now. So thank you and I'm excited to see what the
5: future holds for
4: your business.
6: Thank you very much. Um,
5: i like to echo what she said a little bit. Uh, we really appreciate you coming out today and giving us a little bit more perspective on kind of what your experiences have been and businesses that you work in and how they're impacting the
3: wider corporate world at WIDE really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Just finally for myself and I guess everyone that's been part of the podcast, Jerry, Jason as well, for giving us this opportunity. So this is, the three of us, our first time on a podcast hosting it and everything. So thanks for being such a great guest and giving us the time and talking about this, you know, pretty important topic that sometimes probably doesn't get the awareness it needs. And thanks to the audience as well for participating and being a part of it. So, yeah, quick round of applause, please. (laughs) Cool. All right. So, with that, Zach, we'll let you get going. Have a great weekend. And, you know, hopefully we'll see you in person soon.
6: It was a pleasure. It's an honor. Look, thank you for having me as a guest. I appreciate it. And, yo, I hope you all have a really good holiday and a good weekend, too. Last thing I'll say is there's nothing more powerful than your voice. So, I say that to like black and brown folks. I know that some of you may be pushing to get a certain title or like, position. And you think that maybe once you get that position, you'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm just going to encourage you, don't wait until you get to the level you think you need to get to to enact change. Use your voice and enact change now. Leverage your voice to say things now. Jaleesha made a point earlier. She said, you know, I'm glad that, you know, I have a voice. I use my voice, right? Use your voice and don't be afraid of the consequences either, right? Like the world is big and small enough. You'll be all right. You'll be okay. And then since I said something to the Black and brown folks, let me say something to the whites as well. So it's important that you realize executive leaders that you have power here, individual contributors, Josh, thank you for your question, you have power here. Sadly, a lot of you know you have power and it's important though, that you leverage it to help and make a better place and experience for folks. Even if it's cynically just, let's say you don't give a damn about any of these people. I promise you, your products will be better The whole business case for diversity has now been iterated for the past 20 years. We're still having the same conversation. The data is clear that your business is better when they have a fair and equitable place to work. So leverage your power to make your workplace fair and equitable, if only for the bottom line and your bonuses at the end of the year.
0: Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.